Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to East-West Draftcast. The boycott of M14 is over, and we're ready to talk some magic. We're back. Uh, Jeff is a little too busy with Jeff things to join us today, so I'm joined by uh, Russell Smith, my one and only brother. Hello. How's it going, dude? Doing well. I, I feel like I'm a really good fit to fill in for Jeff since I haven't played a lot of magic and I can pretend like I know more than I do. <laughs> Spot on, spot on. All right. Uh, well, Russell doesn't have a whole lot of time with us today, so we're going to jump right into things, uh, talking Theros spoilers and mechanics and all that. Uh, and if he has to leave early, he'll leave early, and maybe I'll wrap it up. Uh, or we might just keep it a short one today. We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, we're, we're going to talk Theros, and I think today we just want to focus on the mechanics. We don't. We definitely don't have time to get into all the cards or even all the commons or all the uncommons or anything like that. So let's start just by talking about the the core mechanics of the set. I'd actually like to start with some of these cycles that they're, they're doing, like the gods, first of all, Russell. What do you think of these? You know, um, the gods are interesting. The, the legendary enchantment gods is what you're referring to, right? I, again, I saw the spoiler back when it was about 150 cards, so I'm about 100... About 100 missing from my knowledge um i actually really like the legendary enchantments uh, is that are there any other gods other than just the legendary enchantments or is no that those just... those are them essentially there's five of them there's one for each color they all cost three and a single color except for the blue one which costs two and a single color mm-hmm. and they're all indestructible they're all legendary enchantment creatures and they grant some static ability uh, the white one is other creatures you control at Vigilance. The blue one is at the beginning of your upkeep, Scry one. The black one is your opponents can't gain life. The red one is whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals two damage to each opponent. And the green one is creatures you control have Trample. Then they all have an activated ability. I won't go into all those right now. Yeah. But the the, the weird part about them, the, the thing that really sets them apart, is that they're enchantments first, right? And the but, Devotion. Yeah, if you have devotion, if devotion to their color, so the white one, it says, as long as your devotion to white is less than five, Heliod isn't a creature. Heliod is the name of the white one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and devotion is the number of white mana symbols in permanence you control, in the casting cost of permanence you control. Heliod, God of the Sun, has a casting cost of three colorless and a white. So if he's your only white permanent in play, your devotion to white is one, and therefore he is not a creature yet. But once you get up to five, five total white mana symbols in the casting cost of permanence you own, he becomes a five-six. And he's still indestructible and still has all those enchantment abilities, the the static ability and the activated ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know, there's something about devotion that I just think is a stupid mechanic. Um, I think in limited a lot of, you know, since you play a lot of two-color decks, I think getting to five and keeping five out there of white, it's going to be very tough. So I think it's generally, in a limited format, you're going to be looking at it as, a lot of the time, just an enchantment with its abilities. And the rarity that will become a creature will be kind of tough. Because, I mean, you do a removal on one of the cards that's just a... um, has two white in its casting cost, you're going to, you're going to make it go back to just an enchantment. But that being said, they're still really good enchantments. I mean, the white one, for example, you have two white every turn, you are just putting a two, one cleric on the battlefield and one of them's draw cards. I'm pretty sure. Um, and the other, the black one has to do with losing life. If I remember correctly, the black one is pay two life draw card. You know, it would help out if you pulled up like a spoiler on the computer. No, I haven't. I'm trying to find them too. So, I ha- I have it. Yeah, there you go. Pay two life, draw a card. Yeah. Um, your opponents can't gain life. So I mean that the, you know all as all spells are. Some of the colors are just really strong. Like I think the white one's really really strong. Um, I think that what you describe as a problem is actually a good thing for limited in that because these things are going to be hard to quote unquote turn on. We're not going to deal with the 
Jace memory depth problem of a, of a mythic rare that just seems unbeatable once it's cast, you know? Uh, if it's hard to make these guys into 5-5 five, five indestructibles, 6-5 indestructibles, 5-7 indestructibles, I think that's a good thing for limited. Uh, I'd rather the enchantment aspect of them be the key, uh, because if, if they're always gonna be a creature with these awesome abilities, then, and, uh, who also happen to be indestructible, that could be a problem. I mean, they're also mythic, so that's another thing you have to keep in mind, that you're gonna see maybe one or two per draft. Uh, a lot more than sealed. So you're not going to necessarily see them around a lot. And even in sealed too, it's going to be even harder to turn them on because sealed you splash for three colors a lot of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing, but I don't know. We'll see. You making them harder to turn on, I think is definitely a positive. I, the devotion thing is just a little weird to me because it's, you know, I don't know. I don't know how, if they're, how often they're actually going to get turned on because the thing is, if they're just always going to be enchantment, the red one is kind of, Eh, you know, your creatures get plus one plus O, oh, that's okay. I mean, it's decent. Uh, if all your creatures get fire breathing and the ability's decent, but I just think in general, you're, it's just gonna sit there as an enchantment with maybe one or two creatures out. Yeah, I so. think that's fine though. But let's talk a little bit more about the bestow mechanic and see how it plays on like a common creature. Uh, the one I'm looking at right now is called Disciple of Fenax. It's mm-hmm. two colors and two black for a 1-3 human cleric. And when it enters the battlefield, target player reveals a number of cards from his or her hand equal to your devotion to black. You choose one of them, that player discards the card. Wait, is it... I don't see two colors, I just see two black. Is my thing not loaded? It's possible. Which uh, spoiler set are you using? Uh, MTZ Slave Station, as I call it, Salvation. Okay, I'm looking at Mythic Spoiler, so, I mean, again, like, I don't know if all these are confirmed, to be honest, and yeah. we should definitely throw that great assault at the listeners in that we're going off of uh, spoiler information. Some of this information may not be accurate, but um, it, either way, it's a... Uh, the colorless almost doesn't matter in this cast, casting cost. I mean, it does for the purposes of how good the card is, but for evaluating the uh, or the devotion mechanic. The fact that he has two black in his own casting cost means that when you cast it, your opponent's going to at least have to reveal two cards, and you're going to get to take one of them. So that's that's another look at kind of like how bestow works. And I kind of like the mechanic in general. I like that it can encourage you to play uh, more towards a monocolor deck in limited. And the other thing I like about it is that it influences you while you're drafting to pay attention to the casting cost of your cards. And that's something you should be doing already when you play limited. But I feel like a lot of people gloss over like double color, triple color casting costs. And this mechanic is going to be a good way to help people learn that those things actually do matter sometimes, not only for mechanics like bestow, but also just in the sense that cards with double color are harder to cast, right? Well, I think on that regards, too, is that people are going to do, well, theoretically, you would be drafting a very heavy black deck and making a legitimate splash compared to doing a 50-50, and a lot's going to come down to when you choose your land. Do I really want, you know, do I want a deck where I should be paying 12 uh, Swamp and 5 Plains? And, and only splashing a couple white cards, so my devotion is really strong to black. And I'm playing, you know, 20 black cards and three. So I think a lot of the decks are going to become more main one color with a splash of another. Again, the problem with that, too, is that how many people are going to try and fight over, you know, all the devotion cards if that's the case, which, again, then you have you have to be a good drafter and switch, and, all, you know, then that's, you're just getting a lot deeper in that regard. But I think, yeah, there's probably going to be two or three drafters every draft who are going to be trying to force the Devotion deck, especially if they open one of the Mythics and thinking, man, I really want to turn on um, Erebos, God of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, and and a 5-7 Indestructible, where I can just keep gaining life and drawing cards, or paying life and drawing cards, is pretty good. Yeah, one thing to keep in mind as far as devotion goes is remember that it doesn't have to do with the lands that you have. It only no, has course. to do with the casting cost of the cards you have in play. But with that said, if you have a bunch of double black or like triple green type spells in your deck, type permanence, 
you're going to need the requisite lands to cast those cards. Of course. Well, and, and just when you're thinking about it, it's like, well, I could take this card that's maybe slightly powerful with a one black symbol in it, or I could take a slightly weaker card with two black symbols, but it makes like three or four of my cards in my deck way better. So I want to take the double black symbol or double in, in the casting cost just to make my devotion better. Right. So that's what I was saying earlier. I love that it makes you care about the casting cost as an attribute of the card when you're drafting it. Like, just because, like, the 2-2 flying isn't quite as good as the 3-3 death touch, but if the 2-2 flying has extra mana symbols in the casting cost, then maybe that's, excuse me, maybe that's good for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, One last devotion card I want to look at here, just because it's one that I think is really powerful. Uh, It is... Another black one. Uh, it's called Mogus's Marauder. It's two colorless and a black for a 2-2 human berserker. And when it enters the battlefield, up to X target creatures each gain Intimidate and Haste until end of turn where X is your devotion to black. Now, I see this card, and it reminds me of some like cards we've had in the past, like older ones. Like I think one of them was called Dance of Shadows which gave all your creatures plus one plus zero oh and intimidate until end of turn, that costs five mana. This guy only costs three, but considering that you want to exploit the devotion aspect of it, you probably aren't going to cast him on turn three anyway. But with that said, like this card has a very overrunny type feel. Uh, granted, we haven't played with it yet, but this card seems pretty good. What do you think, Russ? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, at minimum, a 2-2 haste for three isn't half bad or even uh, putting a 2-2 into play that gives something else uh, intimidate is just strong on its own because it's it's going to d- at least be one because of itself. I mean, that's pretty good because a lot of the time you're, especially in black, you, you know, you're kind of sitting there with some creatures and s- intimidate. I mean, I know going back to M14, the few times I've played, uh, the 3-2 intimidator guy was just sitting there the entire game pinging most people because there wasn't a lot of artifact creatures on it, and that was a really strong card in M13. And I mean, from what hey, I remember, there you shut up. We don't talk about M13 on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there there doesn't. I mean, there's definitely not a lot of artifact creatures in this set too, because I mean, there's a couple of them. Um, a, t- a two-one Seder for two, the Bronze Sable, uh, the Raptor, the Flying First Strike for four. But a lot of people usually don't play the artifact creatures unless they're really strong or they need a 22nd or 23rd playable. And going against the mono-color deck, let's say you're going against the mono-white-color devotion deck, they're not going to be able to deal with this card at all when you finally drop them on turn 5 and swing in. Yeah, I love that it grants haste as well. I don't know, I just think that card's pretty cool. Um, what mechanic do you want to talk about next? Well, I actually was thinking of talking about uh, Bestow, thinking that it was going to make removal kind of very, very highly... I mean, it's already highly drafted, but even higher rated, because when you put drop it on a creature, if you're able to kill that creature, there's going to be a lot of two-for-ones. Um, yeah, so, can't do that, though. <laughs> which, so, yeah, I hear is different. Yeah, so according to Matt Tabak uh, at Wizards, the bestow mechanic has special rules involved where... If you are playing a bestow card as an enchantment on a on a target creature you control, and that target is removed, the bestow card will actually come into play as a creature. You won't get two for one in that exchange, which is it makes me like the bestow cards a lot more. I'll say that. Yeah, it makes them even stronger. Yeah, and there are a lot of I mean, there are definitely a lot of creature enchantments in this set in general. And I think there's even a cycle of them that do, like, really small things, but they all say, when this enters the battlefield, draw a card. So they're really trying to reinforce the fact that not only are enchantments playable, but you're not going to get blown out because you play them, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So, I mean, Russell, why don't you talk about how Bestow works? Well, so Bestow usually has a separate cost, uh, usually a lot more than the card. So, for example, um, a card that might cost two and one white would cost four and a white to Bestow. And this one, uh, Observant Alcide, uh, let's see how much I butcher these words as usual. <laughs> so it's a, it's a 2-2 Vigilance. 
uh, or two two vigilant creature uh, for three, and then for five you could do enchant that creature for two two, and it also has vigilance. So most of the time, whatever the bonus is, is what the creature is going to have itself. So if it's a three three, it's going to give a creature plus three plus three. If it says you know if it's a flying creature, it's going to give the creature flying. Um, and then once that creature dies, that it's on, it becomes the creature again. Yeah, Bestow, so, Bestow says, if you cast this card for its Bestow cost, it's an aura spell with enchant creature. It becomes a creature again if it's not attached to a creature. So if the creature dies while this enchantment is on it, then it becomes a creature. Uh, if the creatures, and apparently if the creature is removed before the bestowed creature lands on the target as an enchantment, it comes into play as a creature. So, yeah, they're pretty cool. I mean, in general, it's a lot like uh, Blood Rush, where when you bestow something, you get the stats of the creatures. So, like, remember Rebel Belt Mach, which is a 3-3 for 4, but it had Blood Rush for 1? It just gave plus 3, plus 3, plus 3, right? Uh, but if you had, like, a, a Blood Rush creature with Trample, it would give... Plus X, plus X, where X was the power and toughness. And then it would also give Trample. Uh, so all these uh, Alcids, Naiads, Lampads, and Orreads, and Dryads, these this cycle of common bestow creatures, they're all 2-2s, and they all have some uh, keyword ability. Reach, First Strike, Intimidate, Flying, Vigilance. So if you bestow them, they give plus 2, plus 2, and that ability. So it's, it's pretty intuitive when you kind of get down to it. It's just a little tricky as far as how how they interact with yeah with removal and and things like that, which is really strong because I mean the one thing when you're playing limited and when you're actually playing a game whether it be a sealed a lot a lot of time you against the heavy removal decks is you have to really bag those enchantments until you can drop it on the right creature for the win and you don't get two for one. I mean, because that's the biggest thing about, I mean, even Mark of the Vampire or... Um, hey, what did I tell you about Corset cards? No, uh, I mean, I can't even remember enchantments that were from the previous cycle. Um, but it's just, you're always worried about getting two for one. And for this, there's no worry about that. To be able to save a 2-2 Vigilance and maybe give a card plus two plus two in Vigilance. And if that fails, you still have a 2-2 Vigilance out. You're just you're just getting extra value. And I mean, these are, you know, a lot of the bestow cards are still common. Sometimes the price is a little bit high. Um, but I mean, it could also just take any really tiny, small creature and just make it valuable for playing early game. Sure. You play a one, one or a two, two on turn two, and you get, you know, three damage and it sits there. So instead of playing another two, two, you are able to bump up to like a five, five or a six, six later in the game and make your creature a lot more valuable, at least for a few turns. And if they have to double, triple block it to kill it, you then get another creature out of it because the, the, the aura becomes a creature. Yeah. I think that in general, the fact that all these bestow cards have a high bestow cost makes me think that the format's going to be kind of slow. I have a hard time imagining that one of the main mechanics involved in the set is going to be unplayable, you know? Monstrosity, which is another mechanic we'll get to soon, is the same thing where, like, it had, they have these extra costs that are typically very high uh, on the cards, and if players aren't going to be able to activate those abilities or cast those bestow costs in games, there's really no point in printing them, so I, I mean, I think we're going to be able to get up to 6-7 mana in a lot of our limited games in this format. Yeah, I mean, I figured we might parlay Bestow into Monstrosity when we're talking about heavy casting costs, but I, you know, I was thinking about it. It's kind of got a Rise of the Eldrazi feel, especially with Monstrosity, which we'll get into, is that whoever gets to use that first or drop the full first Ulamog's Crusher is generally going to win the game. Just because you're going to get up to that eight, nine, seven, eight, nine mana, you're going to have a huge threat that if they don't deal with it, they're generally going to die. And it's sometimes going to be just lasting to that point, either stalling the board. Um, I don't know if in the last hundred cards there's been any spoil of ramp, uh, if there's any like green ramp or green enchantments or. Apparently the whole set is spoiled, Russell. I don't know if. Yeah, no, I'm trying to read okay. through it, but. <laughs> 
reading is hard. There's a hundred while talking about cards and, you know, checking up to make sure I'm not looking at a red card while you're talking about black. It's, you know, reading through a hundred new cards is also kind of tough to try to get up to date. So no, no worries. Uh, so let's just look at There's a common monstrosity card called Nessian Asp. As Russell types away, uh, it's a four five snake creature for four colors and a green. It's a common. It has reach, so it's a 4-5 reach for 5. That's pretty solid. But it also has this ability, 6 and a green, monstrosity 4. So if this creature isn't monstrous and you pay this cost, which is 7 mana, uh, put 4 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it and it becomes monstrous. So this is plain and simple. When this asp becomes monstrous, it just becomes a lot bigger. It goes from being a 4-5 reach into an 8-9 reach. Now, how often that's going to be relevant? Who the hell knows? Because, I mean, if you if you can't get the job done with a 4-5, I mean, is 8-9? I mean, 8-9 will definitely get it done, but I, I don't know. You might be right, Russell. It might just come down to who can fire one of these things off first. Well, because you're just going to either be... I mean, most of them are becoming at least 8 or higher. I, I, all of them I've seen, Monstrosity, are becoming at least eight or higher. Um, you know, there's a, the, the sea lock monster is a three colorless, two blue, uh, and it can't attack unless the defending player controls an island. It's a monstrosity for seven. So it becomes a five, five and, or it's a five, five and it would get a monstrosity for three, which would put three plus one plus one counters on it, which would make it an eight, eight. And, uh, the ability with a lot of the monstrosity, mechanics is it has an ability below and it says when sea lock monster becomes monstrous target land becomes an island in addition to other land types so therefore you might just have a five five defender for five for a while but once you get up to seven mana you have an eight eight island walk or sorry not island walk an eight eight that can attack they're gonna have to chump block it a ton or they're gonna die in one or two turns yeah, that's it's pretty pretty crazy how big these things get if you can get up to that monstrosity. And considering the high monstrous costs and the high bestow costs on all of these cards, I think that a an eighteen land deck might just be the norm in this format. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I, obviously everybody's going to try like a quick aggro deck because though you know if you can get the nuts aggro deck in this format to destroy you're going to be stoked. But yeah, generally I would think it's like, well, I have three monstrosities, even with a couple rares that are, have monstrous and I'm, I'm going to want to hit that eighth land. I'm going to want to drop that in the next blue one. I was going to say a ship breaker Kraken, um, or you want to get to your Olamog crusher land. And the only way to do that without ramp is to have that extra land. And it's going to be worth it over a two, two. That's probably just going to sit there and chump block for you on turn five or six. Yeah. I, I, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of really quick creatures. There are some efficiently costed dudes. Like there are three threes for three at common and green. Uh, there are a lot of bears like two twos for two or two ones for two, but nothing that really screams aggro to me. I think actually three different colors have a two one for one, but like one of them's rare. One of them's uncommon. I think actually they're all uncommon or, or rare. The red one's rare and it deals damage to you. It's kind of kind of like Jackal Pup, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it has like a fire breathing ability that also deals you damage. It's like just Jackal Pup reimagined. It's pretty cool actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like a red player till I die, so I like that card. But um, yeah, I mean in general, the removal in this set is also kind of underwhelming. Now that could go both ways. That could one either make it so it's hard to deal with those those fast aggro decks if they exist. Uh, but it could also mean that because the removal's bad, if both players have like a reasonable mana curve and are casting things on turns two through five, that you're going to develop a lot of board stalls where it really is going to come down to who can land a big bestow card, who can uh, get something monstrous. So it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up. Yeah, I mean the I mean the two black usually black has your best targeted removal, you know, doom blades, uh hideous ends, all the destroy either non-black creature. Um but I mean you've got heroes downfall, 
at three, which is basically hideous end without the two life. Um, that's a that's a rare though. Is I thought was it? Yeah, Heroes Downfall is oh, it's it is basically uh, yeah it's Dreadbore except it costs one black black and it's an instant. Yeah, um, and then you've got Sip of Hemlock, which is destroy creature it loses two life, but that's at six mana. And then you have Lash of the Whip, and that's an instant, and that's five mana where you're getting minus four, minus four. Which, again, if you already have a 5-5 five, five creature, um, destroy target black creature at Dark Betrayal. But there's not necessarily just a common or uncommon, like, I'm going to destroy every creature. Or any creature, not, you mean. Any creature that's not black, generally, because usually black removal is just non-black creature. That's, I feel like, a pretty common thing. Yeah in magic, but there's none of that. So it's, you have a five, five creature out there. They can't deal with it. Most of the time, most decks aren't going to really be able to deal with it. There's no pacifism. There's nothing necessarily just to lock it down. So is this just going to be a creature versus a lot of, I don't know. There's a, Oh God, what's that called? Um, it's on magic online. Oh, Momir. Oh yeah. Just play. Is it just going to be that where you you know you discard a land, you play a creature, and the whole game of Momir is just how what to triple block, what to double block. All it is is creatures and interacting with creatures. It's not really that much abilities. And is that kind of going to be what this set comes down to? Is are you are you going to make the right triple block on a certain turn, and they're not going to have you know a pump spell or a removal spell? And then are they going to are you going to be able to drop your monstrous creature next turn and then overrun the board? Well, uh, one thing that I think that becomes more important when we are talking about these creatures that are quote unquote undeal withable are are cards that don't care about how big a creature is. Uh, so one one that jumps out at me here is called Sedge Scorpion. It's a single green for a one one scorpion creature. It's a common and it's it's Death Touch. It's a Typhoid Rats in green, and that thing doesn't care how big your guy is. I mean, it, it might care if it has Trample. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's a good solution to, uh, those cards that you might not be able to deal with. Counter magic is up there as well. So maybe we see, uh, some counter spell type cards gain relevancy in limited. Bounce, uh, Voyage's End is a blue instant at common oh, for one that and a blue. Card is really good. It's unsummon and then it says scry one. And, I mean, now that we're looking at this card, let's talk about scry. Scry's back. <laughs> And it's not unsummoned. It costs one and a and a blue. By the way, right? But it's, it's the it's same, the same ability. effect. That's what I meant. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify. So it tacks on an extra mana to allow you to scry one when you cast it, which is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that scry has an overarching like, I don't know, effect on this on this format or on this set? Well, especially if you're playing the eighteen land decks, if that's a regular that you want you're going to either be wanting to scry for that land or to get rid of those extra lands because you're playing that extra land. And so I think it's going... I mean, scry is always good because you can always throw it on the bottom of your library. So being able to filter through what you could say, the crap, or what you don't need in the board state is always good. Um, and, I mean, even with lands, you know, the the dual lands that they printed have scry. So you put bring a, you know, you put a dual land into play... They're, they're a cycle of dual lands, and you get a scry. So all the other dual lands usually have kind of a come-into-play tapped ability, come-into-play if you have three or less lands in play. All, you know, the most recent cycles have all this. So this one is just, up. Oh, you get a dual land that comes in play, but check to see if you want that next card. And if you do, you're stoked. If you don't, hey, at least you're getting rid of it. So I think it's going to be really relevant, especially a card like Voyage's Ends. Up, oh, you monstrous, your creature, I return it, I get a look, and then hopefully, not only am I, you probably have tapped out, and I'm returning that one creature to your hand, I'm hopefully getting a turn ahead because I know that I want that next card, or I know that I don't want that next card. Yeah, that's a, an important point to bring up. It gives you more time to, one, find what you're looking for, and whether that's the, the seventh land so that you can make your own guy monstrous, or the removal spell that you need to deal with that creature when your opponent recasts it. Like, that's pretty important. Um, look, yeah, looking at all the Scry and all these, like, most of most of these cards have Scry 1. I think Scry 2 is the highest I've seen. Uh, and again, I haven't looked at every single card yet. But it's just small incremental card selection. And that might even, if you have enough of it, that might even lead me to want to play 19 lands in some deck if I'm really heavy on the monstrous creatures. 
So, I don't know, it's just something to keep in mind going forward. Uh, I want to talk about Heroic now. So, Heroic is just a, a creature ability that says, when you cast a spell that targets this creature, have some effect happen. So, let's start with Phalanx Leader. It's a, an uncommon 1-1 one, one for White White. He's a human soldier, and he has Heroic. When you cast a spell that targets Phalanx Leader, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Now, these are obviously meant to interact well with, with enchantments, uh, with bestow, with all the other auras that are running around. Um, now, one thing to keep in mind is that it says whenever you cast the spell that targets it, so you don't have to resolve the spell, and the creature doesn't have to live uh, beyond that. You just get the effect as soon as you cast that card. Uh, and I think that's important to remember because if your opponent removes the creature in response, if your opponent counters the spell, you still get the effect. But the like more subtle way in which I think that matters is that if you look at a card like Spark Jolt, this is a red instant for a single red mana, common. Spark Jolt deals one damage to target creature or player, scry one. Now, normally when we look at a card like this, you think, I'm going to be doing this to my opponent or my opponent's creature every time. Now, with Heroic, that's not always going to be the case anymore. You can use Spark Jolt as a combat trick on your own dudes to gain some sort of effect. Um, Russell, are there any other Heroic cards that jump out at you? Just cards that you like or cards you want to talk about? Uh, you know, I don't really remember any of them. I just really liked the it as in general. Um, I mean, it makes all your pump spells in green that much stronger. Uh, you know, and actually the, the white one that you were talking about for the two white, that was actually kind of the one that I remember distinctly just because it's more than likely it's going to become a two, two very soon. If you, if you happen to have a lot of the cards and if you have any other creatures out, they're going to become bigger and bigger and bigger. So you get two or three creatures out with this guy and you have a couple pump spells. You're just going to basically be doing a little bit of Gavany townshipping your own team, but it's also itself. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of like a mono white Gavany township to me. And I, that was kind of the one that stuck out. Uh, I mean, even just, you know, in the life gate, the, the priest below it, uh, a one three, you're sitting there going, eh, I don't really want to play a one three wall, but with all my enchantments, oh, I can make it a four three or a five three or even a three five, sorry, three five or a four six. And I'm gaining life. Eh, not that, not that bad anymore. Um, I think it takes a lot of those minuscule creatures, the one threes or the one ones or the two twos with heroic, and it makes them even more playable because you're generally going to want to target them with those bestow enchantments. Those are going to be your prime targets because you're dropping them early, maybe getting in a couple life. And then not only are you making them a bigger creature that's hopefully a threat, you're usually getting a heroic bonus for it, which is pretty solid. And then same with the phalanx leader. Uh, if this, if the ability goes on the stack and they kill it and then whatever bestow creature comes into play, it's going to get a plus one because it's going to be in play by the time the abil ability resolves. Yeah. So, I mean, even with that spark jolt I was talking about earlier, if you target phalanx leader with it, it like normally it would kill it. But as soon as you cast the spell, the heroic trigger happens and it puts a plus one plus one counter on all your dudes, including the phalanx leader. So then he's a two, two who's taking one damage. So you've, you're not going to kill it and you're going to pump your team. Like, I don't know. I have a feeling that if there are going to be aggro decks in this format, that they're going to be heroic centric decks because most of these heroes, these heroic cards are smaller casting cost and they, they have the potential to be kind of explosive early. Um, one of them that jumps out at me and this isn't really an early drop, but, um, Centaur Battlemaster, it's a, Five mana creature, three colorless and two green for an uncommon centaur warrior. He's a three three and he has heroic whenever you cast a spell that targets him, put three plus one plus one counters on him. So he doesn't pump the whole team, but he pumps himself in such a huge way that on say turn six, which is admittedly before anybody's got their monstrosity creatures online, you've already got a six six that can attack. 
uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, the Triton Fortune Hunter in blue was actually another one that stuck out to me. Uh, it's just a 2-2 for two colors and a blue, <coughs> pardon me, a blue that has a heroic. And when you cast a spell that targets it, you get to draw a card. Um, I mean, blue's usually the deck that everybody likes to play where you're basically drawing and scrying your entire deck, getting to your one or two threats and controlling the game. And just a 2-2 for three, which is eh, okay. But again, you play a couple bestow cards, you play anything, and you're getting an extra card or two. So they're going to want to get rid of that theoretically quickly if they know that you have a lot of stuff. Because getting ahead on the board, you're, you have a creature threat compared to that actually has damage. A lot of the blue creatures are 1-1s or 1-2s or 0-1s that let you draw cards. So something that's actually got two power that could theoretically with a bestow card become bigger is actually a lot better in my opinion. Yeah. The, another thing to keep in mind here is that there's a cycle of, I think, instants that target up to two creatures at a time. So the black one is called Cutthroat Maneuver. It's three colorless and a black for uh, for an instant. It says up to two target creatures each get plus one plus one and gain lifelink until end of turn. There's a card that can hit two heroic dudes at the same time. Now, if there happens to be a quote-unquote heroic deck that you can draft with a bunch of heroes... Cards like this are going to go way up in value because they're going to be able to hit those heroic triggers on multiple creatures at the same time. Yeah. Well, and I was kind of thinking in the car ride over, I'm like, man, heroic's actually really good too because if, you know, they're tapping your creatures, I mean, I don't, you know, again, bringing up your favorite course at Frost Breath or something <laughs> like that. But again, then I came back and read it and it's your spells, which is which is very positive because then it's not, something where their targeted removal is going to pump your stuff. It's 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 not worrying about what your opponent is casting on your creatures and stuff like that. So there isn't kind of an extra added bonus for certain cards like Frostbeth, but it definitely would have been interesting if whenever it's targeted at all, the ability happens. But that's not how they wrote it. Yeah, so pump spells go up in value, auras obviously go up in value, but also... Those small, like, dinky removal spells that don't necessarily kill everything, especially if they're instants, those have got to go up in value, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, it, your spark, a, it's it's a one damage. How many one toughness, one, you know, creatures are you really going to kill and how often you need to do damage? But having a thing that could benefit you on top of maybe killing something with one toughness or finishing something off with one extra point of damage is it's, it's just making it a 22nd playable. I guess you can make it, or even it might even be an eight fifteen sixteenth 16th playable. If, if you have that much heroic or in your deck. Yep. All right. Uh, are there any other major mechanics you want to touch on here? I have a couple more things I'd like to talk to you about if you have time, but yeah, I, you know, I think just ultimately, I think I don't like the monstrosity mechanic that much. Uh, Why? I, I just, there's just something about magic where you're just kind of dropping those creatures and just stalling the game until you get to six, seven, eight, nine mana. I don't know. It's kind of, there's the thing with Rise of the Eldrazi and it being kind of a really heavy mana set, cre- you know, set. Um, it just, there was a lot of ramp. There was, you know, the Ondu Giant. There was growth spasms, spasms. There was putting zero one Eldrazi. So that way you could drop an eight man on turn five, six sometimes if you had the nuts draw. But I guess it's just kind of sitting around and waiting for this monstrosity to be able to come on, on board. Just doesn't seem like it could be that exciting to me. I just, I, I, it's, I shouldn't say it's a horrible mechanic, but I think it's the worst one in the set. I think that you're kind of underrating the fact that you just get to cast these creatures before that. So, like, you get to pay five or six mana or even four mana in some cases for a dude. You don't, it, it's not like it's, it's one of those gods that just sits there not as a creature until you can monstrosity it. It, I mean, you still get to use it. Like that, that asp we talked about earlier is still a four or five reach for five. Like, that's a pretty good creature in most formats. Yeah. Well, I feel like most of the monstrosity creatures that aren't rare, other than that one, are just kind of eh, creatures for, you know, they're they're what I would consider a 22nd, 23rd playable for the most part because their power and toughness isn't going to be that great until uh, you get the monstrosity on it. So, but I, again, I just, 
I don't know. There's just something that I just, I wasn't too like, oh, this is a mechanic that I really love. I guess it's just kind of my, was my feeling of it. Out of all the other ones, I kind of really liked Heroic. I liked Bestow a lot, but I'm like, eh, Monstrosity, eh, that's okay. And I guess it also just seems like to me, you know, having the one mythic or the one rare monstrosity creature out that you just can't deal with, especially if removal is very light and weak in this set, it's just going to be like, I'm just waiting till they get to eight mana and win the game. See, that's a fair argument, I think. I think that, yes, if, if it does get to the point where this format is who can stick their monstrosity dude first wins, I think that's a bad thing. But and, and to compare again to Rise of the Eldrazi, Rise did a good job of kind of balancing that out with some aggressive type strategies, uh, like the Levelers deck, you know. And I mean, Levelers has a lot in common with this Bestow and Heroic deck that we're thinking of, right? Whereas you're putting together a bunch of cards that synergize well with each other, where like I start off with a small dude, but as soon as I start targeting it with all my enchantments, I get all these effects that benefit me. And then if some of those enchantments, if the creature dies and it has a bestowed creature on it, I get another creature back. And so I'm still in the game. So I, I have a feeling if, if wizards did their job and they usually do that, there will be a good tension between the decks that are trying to win early or and by early, I mean before the monstrosity creatures come online and then the decks that can last until that time and win with their big monstrous dudes. Of course. I mean, I also just think it's one thing that, you know, a lot of the, I guess this is a lot of magic in general, but I guess I just feel like also with monstrosity creatures, a lot of time when you're making it monstrous, um, you're kind of doing a coin flip. Like, I'm going to win this game or I'm going to not. And it's on one creature specifically. Right. Um, compared to, you know, most of the time, like, for example, when you're playing a magic game and you have, like, four creatures out and they have two and they have two cards in hand, like, there's a lot of thinking involved of, like, which two or three creatures am I going to attack with? What could they have in their hand? What You know, there's a lot of interactions there. What are they going to be able to swing back with? With monstrosity creatures, you're just thinking... I'm going all in on this with all my mana. Yep. And if like, I, if I, your, I, I, you're crossing your fingers and you're flipping a coin. I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose. You're like, hope they don't have voyages end. Exactly. And I mean, a lot of magic is like that, but it's a lot more deep than just I'm going all in on one creature. You know, I'm putting all my enchantments on my one hexproof guy. Um, so, I mean, the other thing about monstrosity is it doesn't say you have to do it as a sorcery. So that's definitely an upside. So, oh, I leave my Ember Swallower is the one that's on my page, which is a two colorless, two red for a four five monstrous for monstrosity three for seven mana. Uh, and it, when it becomes monstrous, each player sacrifices three land. So they drop a land, and to their turn, you decide to make it monstrous. It becomes a it's each seven. player sacrifices three lands. By the way, did I say just lands? I think you said just one land. Oh, okay, I meant three. Uh, so it becomes a seven, eight. At the end of their turn, you get to untap all your mana, maybe drop another mana, and you're hopefully doing pretty decent. Um, so, that, I mean, those are the good part about, and that's a lot of monstrosity, as I think you're going to have to be banking to do it a lot at the end of their turn, because if they do bounce it, you're going to want to be able to recast it during your turn instead of all in and going in for the attack, unless they happen to have, you know, zero cards in hand and all that jazz. Yeah. That that card in general, the Ember Swallower, seems really sweet in the sense that it costs four to cast and its monstrosity cost is seven. But when it when you make it monstrous, each player sacrifices three lands. Like even if they do bounce it, you'll still be able to recast it for four. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a solid card. I mean a four or five for four is already good. Again, a lot of these cards that we're talking about are rares, so you're going to see maybe two of them per draft. Obviously, seals are a lot more. Um, you know, it's it's the commons, uncommons that I think are really going to, those monstrosity creatures that are really going to define whether or not monstrous is a really good mechanic or an okay mechanic. Yeah, I mean, you can go in on it. There's definitely risk involved, though, as you as you kind of pointed out. I think that it, the set looks pretty good to me. It definitely looks slow. It definitely looks kind of grindy. And I tend to like formats like this where you kind of have time to set up uh, your plan whether that plan is something aggressive or something more more long game. 
Um, I want to talk to you, just wrap things up with one little conversation on uh, this cycle of cards that are like the on-color hosers. I don't know if you've seen these, but there's Glare of Heresy, Gainsay, Dark Betrayal, Peak Eruption, Hunt the Hunter. So you can look up either any one of those, Russell and Anna, and I want to hear your thoughts on them. Destroy Target Mountain, Peak Eruption deals three damage to its land controller. So the red one destroys an opposing mountain. The black one is is Dark Betrayal, single black instant, destroy target black creature. Uh, the blue blue one is one and a blue for an instant counter target blue spell. These are only sideboard cards, right? We're we're not going to main deck any of these. Mm-hmm. There's not enough gold in the set to make these worth it. So I guess yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you, are you just wondering? What I mean, there's sorceries that are sideboardable, or I mean, I I'd actually say. Yeah, I guess they're all, they're all because they're all versus your own color, right? So, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like I mean, I'm just saying like for the listeners, don't overrate these cards. I mean, they do have powerful effects. Like the white one is exile a white permanent for one and a white, and the, the black one again destroy target black creature. I don't, I'm not like breaking any new ground here. I'm not you know telling people anything they don't totally know, but just in general, I think these cards are are, are cool, but they're also just like like the black one is worse than a death mark and death mark was not something you main decked all the time, you know, yeah, or, or ever really in most sets. Um, I, I do think the red one is basically unplayable and the green one is, I don't know. Actually the green one's not bad if, if you do have the chance to side an end against a green opponent, but I don't know. Well, I mean, the only time you'd ever, I feel like main deck any of these would be that you happen to know you're playing the guy next to you. Or and you know for a fact that you passed him every single white rare that known to man, and unless he's the biggest idiot in the world and didn't take any of these phenomenal cards for whatever reason, you just didn't want to play white, or didn't want to main deck white and you want to splash a glare of heresy, for example. But even then, you're still kind of that's only in you know your regular draft where you can do your you know deck construction throughout and you're just hoping that you play that you know or you know you play that guy and you're gonna be like oh right before the game i'm gonna do that and i mean that's just kind of i don't even know if that's legal yeah i mean i guess if you're playing a team draft or something some a card like that might have more value of course Uh, the two-headed giant things like that these cards are actually all gonna be I mean, it's, you, there's there's places where you might main deck them, but yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be really solid sideboard cards, um, especially against the devotion mechanic. There we go. So you right. know, you play against the devotion deck, and you just happen to be splashing the color. You got a couple of these on your sideboard. You're sitting there going, "Man, that's great!" Because I mean, the glare, for example, is a great way to deal with the indestructible god of the sun. Um, and I mean, also, this is kind of a geeky set. It's based on mythology, right? You know, that's their big their big thing. So if you're a big mythology nerd, then you're going to be getting a big nerd boner over the set <laughs> on, on top of that. True. So, which I care nothing about. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, all in all, I'm I'm pretty stoked. It looks pretty good. And I haven't been playing much Magic, if at all. I played M13 literally one time, and then I've cubed, like, a couple times since... Is it M13 or M14? We've been I, think saying, I was just thinking. I yeah, think I think it's, it's for next year. So M14, man. So I guess, again, I guess my question is, is that if everybody's hating on these core sets and no one ever likes it, are they ever just going to do, you know, a non-core set, or are they going to do three, you know, three cycles and a, or a three and a four? Are they going to do a four set cycle? I don't know. I think that people in general do like them, and that's the problem for us is that in general, these core sets are becoming more and more popular, but they're really good for kids too. I guess the beginning magic player core sets a solid place to start. It's just a different kind of draft environment. I feel like if you're the the type of person who's been playing for long enough, like it's hard to take uh, a set with simpler mechanics and a simpler overall scope and make it exciting for veteran players who have been playing for 10 to 20 years, you know, And that's not to say that I haven't enjoyed some core set limited formats, but I just don't enjoy them for as long as others. And it just so happened that this year's core set coincided with like a time in my life where I was very, very busy. And therefore, like, 
I never really got the chance to, to get in on the ground floor. And I, I don't know, I, I never got excited about it. Um, but no, I don't think that they'll ever go back to not printing a core set. I mean, I shouldn't say never, but I think that Wizards has had a lot of success with these and they will continue to do them every year. Makes sense. Anyway, uh, let's wrap things up because I know you got to get going and I actually have, I actually stuff have on to use the restroom and I know I'm not allowed to bring, I've been banned from taking my computer in there on East Draftcast. Yeah. So. East West Draftcast has a strict no pooping on the podcast policy. Um, anyway, uh, we have been Greg and Russell Smith coming to you, uh, over the airwaves. If you want to reach me on Twitter, my uh, Twitter handle is at EWDraftCast. Uh, you can hit up the show's uh, email address, eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments or if you just want to say, hey, what's up? Uh, and we're on Facebook. You can search us up on there. And for everything else, you can go to eastwestdraftcast.com. Russell, if they want to contact you, would you like to tell them how? You can say no. Uh, you know, uh, I think I'll give my contact after the next podcast that I do where I'm actually educated on what I'm talking about rather than a hundred cards behind on a spoiler. <laughs> so, and I promise to the listeners next time I come on, I will have a lot better thoughts and I'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, just, you know, in defense, I have been moving. So this was kind of a last ditch. Greg was going, Hey, you want to, you know, you want to host more with us? And I said, yes. And you know, wanted to jump in, get my voice in there, talk a little bit about the mechanics with my brother, and it happened to be on a, a podcast. So I will be more educated, and I'll pass on my contact info so you can make fun of, as Greg said in uh, one of the past podcasts, the Rain Man of Magic. Um, <laughs> so you you count cards like nobody I've ever seen. Uh, all right, that wraps it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll we'll catch you next time. Russell, yes, help me out here. Oh, thanks, guys. No, how, how do we end podcasts? You know this. Uh, I actually don't know. Do you, <laughs> you play some crappy Radiohead song, and then I just, I just turn it off? Oh, no, Jeff has a little catchphrase. Uh, uh, Jeff knows nothing about magic, and he's a big, fat liar. Draftcast out! Oh, Draftcast out. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>